You know, as a people, we don't like to wait, do we? <laughs> Individually or as a country, as a society, we, we just don't like to wait. When we want things, we want them now. We want to constantly be moving. I, I'm like that. I don't like to wait. I'm not great with patience. God's growing me in patience. And, and yet we see that all the time. I mean, hey, when I'm driving at night and I come up to a red light, you know, and, and there's nobody coming either direction. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, really? You know, it's like, come on, let's go. Let's move it. You know, or you get behind somebody and it's a 45 mile an hour speed limit and they're driving 30 and you're on two lane road and they're like the grand marshal of the parade and there's cars lined up. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's pick it up. We just don't like to wait. We don't like to wait in lines. If you're a parent, you know what it means to wait. You're at school, you're waiting for their kids, you're waiting to soccer, you're just waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Now you compound that with our society. We live in an instant gratification society, don't we? We got microwaves, we got fast food, we got, you know, if it takes longer than two seconds for a, a website to download, we're like, what's wrong with my computer? I mean, it's like, come on. Can you imagine living in the days of the Pony Express? I mean, it's like, really? I mean, I mailed a letter and it's like two weeks or a month. I mean, now snail mail takes forever, right? I mean, who, who has time to mail letters anymore? And now email takes forever. And now we have texting, but texting doesn't take long enough. I mean, so we got Snapchat, you know, it's like it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And you look at it and you go, are we accomplishing more? I don't know. But you think about it in our lives. We just don't like to wait. We, we don't like to wait. And yet, God's word says this. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. See, God's timing is not our timing. And we come against that because we're like, I don't want to wait. I don't, you know, God, I want you to do it and I want you to do it now. I want it my way, my timing. And God's going, hold, hold, hold on. Trust me. Hold on to me. Something happens in the midst of the waiting. Last week, we started this brand new series, and it's a great series called Hope Rising. And in this series, we're studying this Old Testament book of the Bible called Habakkuk. And not a lot of people know about Habakkuk, but Habakkuk is this great, great letter in the Bible, and it was written by a minor prophet. Now, he's not a minor prophet because he's not as important as the major prophets, right? It's just that his book is smaller. I mean, it's only three chapters. But Habakkuk is so deep and so rich. He's known as one of the 12, one of the 12 minor prophets. And Habakkuk was ministering in a time that, that's not unlike our day. It was 600 BC. And, and there were wars and rumors of wars. There were wars that were happening out there. Uh, the northern tribes of Israel, the 10 tribes, had been conquered by the Assyrians and taken off into exile. And now Judah was feeling this pressure, and they're down around Jerusalem, and Judah, the people of God, and Benjamin, and Habakkuk is there. Habakkuk kind of grew up under a really good king, Josiah, who brought a lot of reform, and now there's been bad king after bad king, and Habakkuk starts to answer and say, God, where are you? God, I'm looking at this, and my only answer is, God, that you must be absent because I'm not seeing you. I don't understand what's happening. And he has these questions that many times we have those questions like, God, do you see what's happening in my life? Do you see what's happening in the world? Do you know what's going on? God, do you see? God, do you care? And Habakkuk wasn't afraid to ask the questions. Habakkuk's name literally means to wrestle, to wrestle. And he wrestled with God. And I believe that's one of the greatest attributes of this book is just the freedom that we have to, to bring our questions to God. You know, God can handle your questions, right? And God is sovereign. He can handle our questions. And sometimes we think, well, I can't ask that of God, you know? And God's going, no, I can handle it. It's okay. But there comes a point of believing and following. 
Sometimes we look at people in the Bible and we think, well, these guys were like superheroes spiritually. They didn't have any problems. They just, you know, kind of trusted. No, no, they wrestled with God. They were men and women like you and me. They were wrestling with why do bad things happen? Why are there challenges in the world? Why do I face problems? What's going on? There were people like Job. I mean, Job went through some really bad stuff. Job was a righteous man, and then all of a sudden, it seems like his life is falling apart. And his wife even says, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Uh, thanks, honey. You know, great, great advice. You know, thank you. And Job's like, no, 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 no. God has, God's been with me. I'm going to hold on to him. I'm going to trust him. And God's like Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob, who literally wrestled with God. And God blessed him on the other side of that. And so Habakkuk comes to this point in the nation. He comes to a point in his life, and he's wrestling with God. But all the while, you see hope rising within him. All the while, you see God doing something bigger within him. And I believe God wants to do something bigger in us. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk, Old Testament, right? Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So in that area, um, kind of dive in here. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles we'd love to give you. Also, we'll put the words on the screen. You can follow along with what God's Word has to say. As we unpack the Word of God together today, it is so good. Man, it is just so deep and so rich. So last week, Pastor Nick did a great job talking about uh, these complaints. Habakkuk had two complaints to God, or two prayers, two petitions. And the first complaint, as Pastor Nick looked, pointed out last week, and if you look in verses 1 through 4, and it really centered around this. His first complaint to God was, hey, the nation's falling apart, God. God, literally the nation's just falling apart. And there were three things that made him think that. Number one, he said, look, the, the Torah is being neglected. Now, the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the Torah, the law, the Pentateuch. And, and that was the Bible that they used. And he's saying, nobody's following your word. Nobody's reading it and looking at it. God, the Torah is being neglected. The second thing he said is, there's violence and injustice. God, I'm looking around and there's violence and injustice going on all around me. God, do you see this? Do you care? And his third problem was this. He looked and he said, hey, the leadership is corrupt. Yeah, there is corrupt leadership in place. There was a godly king at one point, but now all these other kings, there's just corrupt leadership. And as you look at those three things, don't you kind of go, wow, 2,600 years later, we're kind of feeling the same thing, right? I mean, you look at our country, you look at our nation, and, and people want to take the Bible out of our country, and even though our, our country was founded on biblical principles, and we take the Bible out, and we wonder, we go, well, no wonder there's uh, violence and injustice, right? I just saw the other day where Chicago's hiring a thousand more police officers because there's so much violence, and you're like, what? I mean, that's our country, that's our nation, and then you look at it, it says corrupt leadership? I saw the other day this term, post-truth. This term in politics today, it, it, people are describing it as post-truth. I'm like, what? Yeah, because we're so far past the truth that nobody believes what anybody's saying anymore, right? It's a lie, so we're just going to call it post-truth. And I'm going, that defines us? Wow. It's interesting, right? Habakkuk is living in the same world we're living in many ways. And so Habakkuk cries out to God. He says, God, you got to do something about this. And God, this is, this is where I'm living. God, this is where my family's living. This is our community. God, where are you? Will you do something? And the Lord answers. 
And the Lord answers his prayer. And here's what the Lord says. Hey, Habakkuk, verse 5, look, look at the nations and be utterly amazed. Because I'm going to do something in your day that you wouldn't even believe it if I told you. But I'm going to bring the Babylonians and they're going to conquer you. They're going to conquer Judah, my people. And they're going to take them off into exile. And Habakkuk's like, what? That wasn't the answer I was looking for, God. Right? God, I didn't want that answer. And so Habakkuk comes back to God. He presents his second complaint to God. So let's pick up here in verse 12. And here we see Habakkuk's second complaint. He says, oh Lord... Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. So he says, God, I get it. I hear what you're saying. You're going to bring the Babylonians. I understand that. But I know that as a people, we are the children of God. We're not going to die. I understand that. But here's what I don't understand, God. Verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's like, God, I don't get it. You're going to bring a more evil people to take care of your people. That doesn't make sense. You're going to bring them to conquer us and take us off into exile. God, I don't like your answer. Have you ever prayed and then God gives you an answer and you're like, I don't like that, God. You know, <laughs> that's not the answer I wanted. That's not the answer I'm looking for. God, give me a different answer. And, and so he's calling out to God going, help. He said, you have made them, verse 14, like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. He's like, God, look, at least we're over here trying to worship you. We have sacrifices happening in Judah, here in Jerusalem, at the temple. These guys, they're worshiping their own gain. They're worshiping their own army. They're worshiping their own net and dragnet that they're capturing these other nations. And Babylon, man, they were conquering nation after nation after nation during this time. They conquered the Assyrians, and now they're just gobbling up everybody else. And he's going, this doesn't make sense. He says, hey, for by his net he lives in luxury and he enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? God, is that your plan? And then I love his response here in chapter two. Look at verse one. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So Habakkuk goes, okay, God, here it is. <laughs> Here's my concern. Here's my prayer. Here's the things I don't understand. But God, I'm going to bring it to you, and then I'm going to station myself kind of like a watchman. I'm going to stand on the walls, and I'm going to watch as you answer. God, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to be faithful, but I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait for your answer. And I love that. And you know what God does? God answers. God answers. Now, see, I believe this. God answers every prayer we pray. I believe that's all my heart. And then there's three ways that God answers. One, God answers yes. We love that answer, don't we? We pray a prayer and something happens. We're like, yeah, you know, God came through. Yes. Sometimes, though, God answers no. We don't like that answer as much. But I bet if we look back over our lives, we're like, 
thank you, God, for not answering every one of my prayers, right? I mean, that relationship, thank you, Lord, you know, or that job, thank you, Father. So there's times that we look back and we understand that, but there's a third way God answers many times, and it's this, wait, wait, you hold on. I'm not finished yet, wait. And so the Lord answers, and the Lord tells Habakkuk three things. And the Lord tells us three things. First of all, it says this, verse two. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Verse three, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, look at that word, wait. Wait for it. It will certainly come and not, will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. He's like, you're right, Habakkuk. I mean, there are evil people. There are greedy people. But I'm a sovereign God and I can use whoever I want to use. And so he tells them these three things. So first of all, he says this. He says in verse 2, he says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. He says, hey, write down what I'm going to tell you. Write down what I'm going to tell you. Now, this is important. Do, do you realize that there was a study done that says we forget 95% of what we hear within 24 hours? Now, I have to tell you, as a pastor, I hate that statistic, okay? <laughs> I can spend all these hours praying and preparing and studying and then going, hey, in 24 hours, you're gonna forget 95% of this. Great, thank you, Lord, you know? But the study also showed that you remember almost 70% of it if you start to write it down. That's why we have sermon notes, right? Every week you come in and there's these little notes and, and there's fill in the blanks. And we don't do it just so we can have some extra time to print things. We do it so that you can take notes because God's gonna speak to you. I really believe it. I believe God's gonna speak to you this morning. And, and whether it's through a song that's sung and you may, God's already been tugging at your heart, maybe it's through a scripture that's read, maybe through something that's said, God's gonna speak to you. And when he does, write it down. Because there's power in writing it down, right? How many times have you gone to the store and, and they said, hey, don't forget to get these things. You're like, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. You get to the store and you're like, what am I supposed to get? I, I, you know, and I remember this, remember that. I'm a list maker. Anybody else list makers here? Yeah. I, I have to write those things down because I remember it if I write it down. And so the Lord comes to Habakkuk and says, hey, write it down. The reason is this because we forget, right? I've been there. There's been times that I've been stressed out or things are going crazy in life and I'll spend time with the Lord and I pray and I pray and I feel like God speaks to me. And God will speak, and I've only heard God's audible voice a couple of times in my life, but many times, God, you can tell through the Holy Spirit, God is speaking to you, God's prompting you. And there's times God will say, hey, Jeff, listen, I'm with you. I promise to never leave you or forsake you. It's gonna be okay. And I'll get up, and I'm like, yeah, let's go, you know, come on. And then, and then the next day, I'm back in the same place, right? And I'm going, God, I'm stressed out again. You know, God's going, I just told you yesterday. That's why I'm a big believer in journaling. I think writing things down, get a little notebook, write down what God's telling you. Or blogging, write it down. Because you're gonna go through some hard times. It's just a fact, all of us do. 
All of us walk through some dark times and through hard times. And maybe you're in that spot today. Or maybe you're just coming out of that spot or maybe you're going into that spot. But, but listen, take time to write it down. Praise God that Habakkuk wrote these struggles down. Because 2,600 years later, we're processing that. And maybe you go through a time where it's really hard. And you're wrestling with God, right? But in the midst of that struggle, God's teaching you something that's going to impact somebody else. It's not just going to impact you. It's going to impact somebody else. And you're walking through a struggle that somebody else may be dealing with. It may be in your own family. It may be a friend. It may be a coworker. It may be somebody generations later. And so God says to Habakkuk, and God, I believe, says to all of us, when I speak to you, write it down. Write it down. There's people at our church, and, and they'll show me. They'll have, like, the sermon notes from, like, years back. And they'll say, you remember when you said this? And I'm like, I don't even remember saying that, you know. Well, God spoke to me, and they just have this. And I'm like, yeah, you wrote it down. You wrote it down. The second thing, I think, if you look in verse 3, here's what God says to Habakkuk and to us. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Here's what God says. He says, Habakkuk, wait. Now Habakkuk, these three chapters were written over a period of 60 years, okay? 60 years. A lot of times we pray and, and we go, okay, God, would you answer this prayer? And then like two minutes later, we're going, well, God, why didn't you show up? Why didn't you answer that prayer? I guess you're not gonna answer that prayer, so I'm gonna go do it myself, you know? We gotta move on because God didn't answer in the first two minutes. And, and God's going, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a bigger story unfolding here. Wait for it. See, God's timing is not our timing. But God's timing is always perfect. <laughs> God's timing is not our timing, but God's timing is always perfect. Now, in the midst of the waiting, what do you do? Because we don't like to wait, right? We want to do something. And some of you today, you find yourself in the midst of waiting. Maybe you've been praying a long time for a spouse. You want to be married. Or maybe you're just praying for a date, right? You're like, oh, forget that. This is right here. But you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're like, God, do you see? Do you care? And God's just saying to you, hold on. I see. I got you. Trust me. Maybe you've been praying for a child. And you're waiting. Maybe you've been praying for a job. Or a dream job. Maybe you just can't stand the job you're in right now. And you're like, God, do you see what's going on? God, help. And God's just saying to you, wait. And you're like, I don't want that answer, God. I want it now. And God's going, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, what do you do in the midst of the waiting? Well, there's a difference between passive waiting and active waiting. Okay, there's a difference between passive waiting and active waiting. You know, when you go to a restaurant and the waiter comes to your table and, and they take your order, they don't just go sit down and like kick back and watch the football game. And, I mean, no, they're active, right? Many of you, you've waited on tables. You know, man, you're always doing stuff. You're always moving. And in the midst of the waiting, you stay active. God has already written down what he wants us to do. Right? I mean, he's told us, I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to study my word. I want you to be in community. I want you to be a part of a church. I want you to have community. I want you to grow deeper. I, I want you to pray. I want you to serve. I want you to do missions. I want you to make a difference. And so in the midst of the waiting, we're active. Habakkuk did that. And here's this guy who was trying to make a difference in his day and his generation. But man, he's waiting on the Lord 
for deliverance. Wait on the Lord. And here's the third thing he says is this. Hey, live by faith. He says, see, he is puffed up and his desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Now guys, this is incredible. Because when the Lord spoke that to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk wrote it down, I don't think Habakkuk understood the ramifications that were going to happen with this. But this verse, the righteous will live by his faith, is used three times in the New Testament. Three different times. And and what God was saying to Habakkuk is this. Look, you just are looking at the Babylonians, right? And and you know that that they're going to conquer you. But listen, I'm doing a bigger story, Habakkuk. And I'm going to take you off into exile, but only for 70 years. And then I'm going to bring the Persians. And they're going to send you back. And I'm going to bring back a remnant to Jerusalem. And from that remnant, they're going to be committed to me. They're going to be faithful to me. And from that remnant, I'm going to bring the Messiah. The salvation of the entire world. Habakkuk, it is bigger than you can imagine. It's not just you, Habakkuk. It's not just the Jewish people, Habakkuk. It is for the entire world, Habakkuk. Wow. Write this down, Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith that they trust me, that they hold on to me. Hey, if you could turn with me over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And look here in verse 17. God sends his son, Jesus Christ. He, he lives 33 sinless years. He dies on a cross for your sins and for mine. The gospel begins to spread across the entire Roman Empire. Why? Because the Romans had conquered the world at that time. There was a a single language. You had its Greek life. You had Roman roads. So when the gospel begins to spread, there's there's not barriers there. The gospel's going throughout. And Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing now to the church in Rome. And he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Then verse 17. Look at this verse 17. This is so powerful. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Guys, where does that come from? Habakkuk chapter 2. 600 years earlier. A prophet heard from God, the righteous will live by faith. And man, he writes it down. And God using this because God's saying, this is who I am. I am a good and a gracious God. And do you know what's amazing about that too? 1,500 years later, after this was written here by the Apostle Paul, there's a monk named Martin Luther. And this monk is trying everything he can to attain the righteousness of God. I mean, this monk is, is, man, he's involved in the church and, and he's paying penance when he messes up. And he said, I've come to hate the righteousness of God because I realized it was a standard I could never meet. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you feel like, man, God's always mad at me. I'm always messing up. I'm always failing. Martin Luther was there and he was a monk. He was getting up early and praying all day and reading God's word all day. And he still felt like, man, I can't attain the righteousness of God. And one day, One day, Martin Luther is reading, and he's reading verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And in that moment, Martin Luther said, I felt like the heavens opened up and I saw paradise. And I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. It is the righteousness of God that's imputed to me. 
It's not that I can't attain it. It's what God has done for me. Not what I do, what he's done. The righteous will live by faith. And Martin Luther goes and nails 95 theses to the Wittenberg door and sparks what we know as the Reformation. It says it's not about religion. It's not about selling indulgences. It's not about works-based. It is by the grace of God we are saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest no man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The Bible's taken in Back then, you know, it was only the priest who understood Latin, so they were the only ones reading scripture. And then the Bible's translated into the man, everyday common man language, and taken and put on the Gutenberg printing press. And people started to read God's word, and we're looking, the righteous will live by faith. And the Reformation, this explosion that we still feel today, praise be to God. And that statement, born out of hardships, born out of struggles, And God's saying, listen, I'm doing something bigger. Have faith in me. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. Trust in me. Not by sight, even when it seems like everything's falling apart around you. You walk by faith. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with evil and suffering in today's world, I think. Is we have this short-term perspective, right? And we see the evil and suffering, and we, we think, God, why don't you deal with it? And God goes, I am. I will. God goes, because my heart is a heart of justice. My heart is a heart of mercy. My heart is a heart of grace. But but listen, I'm going to do it in my timing. Hold on. There's a bigger story unfolding here. And we're like, well, God, where are you? And God goes, I'm right here. You see, God created the world. He created a perfect world. I mean, it was amazing. He put Adam and Eve in the garden, and everything was great. It was wonderful, and they had perfect intimacy with God. They would walk in the garden with God every day. They had intimacy with other things were great. And God gave them all these trees and all this fruit and said, choose from any of it, but don't eat this one. And like Adam and Eve, like us, like, oh, that one? Yeah, okay. And they take and they eat and they sin and sin enters into the world. But God didn't give up on them and God doesn't give up on us. And God said, I'll pay the price for sin. And we think, well, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something about the problem, the evil? And the Bible tells us in 2 Peter, it says, God is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, all to come to salvation. God is doing something, even in the midst of the brokenness, even in the midst of the hurt, even in the midst of the pain, God is at work. And God's saying, hold on to me. Trust me. Trust me. I bet if you're honest and you look back at your life, some of the hardest times of your life were the times that you grew the most. You grew the most spiritually. You grew the most in your love for God and your, your love for his word and you spent time with him and you, you just held on to him. And we don't like to go through hardships. We, we don't. None of us do, right? But it's in the midst of those that our faith grows. It's in the midst of the struggles that hope rises within us. It's the midst of the, the struggles that we become all that God wants us to be. Here's how it works, right? Spiritually, when you start off and you accept Christ, you're fired up. 
You were so excited. I remember I accepted Christ when I was eight years old. God was drawing me to himself. I remember putting my faith and trust in him. I remember I remember running down the aisle at church. I was just so excited. It, I mean, things were great. I was with a guy the other night. He was 25 years old. He'd just given his life to Christ. And, and man, this guy's fired up, man. He's just like, yeah, it's awesome. And it is. It's so exciting. And you're coming to church. You're taking notes. It's like God's speaking directly to you. All this, you're writing it down. You're just like, oh, you're growing. You're learning. You know, you're praying and God's answering prayers left and right. But then there comes a time in your spiritual journey when you go through what Henry Blackaby calls the dark night of the soul. And it seems like things are hard. St. John of the Cross, even before, called it, you know what? This crisis of belief like Blackaby talks about. And St. John of the Cross, this dark night of the soul, it's this, this is a challenging time. And you're calling out, you're like, God, do you see? God, do you care? God, do you understand? And God's going, listen, I'm with you. Hold on to me. Trust me. Wait for me. And in the midst of those times, you've got a decision to make. And this is what happens for a lot of people. You either bail on God, right? And you go back, and you've known people who used to come to church, and not church, they're kind of going back to their old life. Or those are the times you really dig in. And you say, this is what I believe. And this is the way I'm going to grow. And I'm going to put the Lord first. If you go to John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, Jesus, his ministry is exploding. There's all these kind of people who are following him. And I'm not a big numerology guy, but John 6, verse 66. That's kind of weird, isn't it? 666. It says this. From that time on, many of the disciples turned around and stopped following Jesus. And you look back and you say, well, what happened? And you know what happened? The teaching got hard. Jesus was talking about following me and trusting me and you're gonna go through difficult times. You're gonna have some challenges. Jesus started talking about serving and making a difference and, and a lot of people bailed and Jesus looks around and he goes to the 12. He goes, do, do you guys wanna leave me too? And the 12 look at him and I love what Simon Peter said. Simon Peter said, Lord, where would we go? You are the one who has the answer to eternal life. Where would we go? You are our hope. You are our future. Where would we go? You know, what's amazing to think about is all those disciples who walked away, we don't know any of their names. But we know the names of the 12. <laughs> we know the names of those who stayed committed. In fact, people still name their kids Peter, Matthew, James, John. These guys who just said, I'm gonna put a stake in the ground and I'm gonna follow because God's timing may not be my timing, but God's timing's perfect. And I'm gonna trust, and I'm gonna believe that God's writing a greater story. See, God's writing a greater story, church. God's writing a greater story in your life. God's doing something bigger than you can imagine. And God's calling you to be faithful. You know, my daughter Kate, her favorite Bible verse, <laughs> she memorized it here at church. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, you know in older versions it says this, those who wait, those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. God's not finished with any of us. And God's saying hold on to me, trust in me, Guys, we live in a turbulent time. We do. We live in a time when a lot of people are putting their hope and their faith in a man or in a woman. 
And as the people of God, you know what? We pray for our country, we pray for our nation, but our hope and our faith is in, man, is in God, not in a man, not in a woman. We just trust in him, that he is sovereign, that he is for us, that he is with us. And we hold on to him with everything we've got. And you know what? God has called us for a time such as this, church. Have you ever thought, why am I a believer in this day and this time? Because I believe there's people in your family. I believe there's people in our community. I believe there's people in our nation. I believe there's people in our world who are looking for believers who are saying, I have my faith in the Lord. And God is sovereign, and I'm going to trust him regardless of what comes. I'm going to stand on the, the watchtower and watch and wait and hold out hope in my God. And regardless of what happens, I am for him. And I'm holding on to him. Now, we pray like crazy for our country. We pray like crazy for people in leadership. We pray, but we hold out hope in a God who is greater. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Listen, I don't. I don't know your fears. I don't know your worries. I don't know your anxieties, but I know we all have them. I don't know, maybe if you're in a period of waiting right now. But I want to tell you this. There is a God who hasn't given up on you so you don't give up on him. There is a God who is at work in your life and who's at work in your family, who's at work in your community and who's at work in our country. You hold on to him because our God is greater. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And we're going to have a personal time of reflection just right now. A personal time of of just coming before the Lord. And like Habakkuk, maybe there's some things you're wrestling with. And I want to give you the freedom just to bring those to the Lord. Say, God, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I'm obsessed about. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm afraid about. God, I bring it to you. And I pray even in the midst of that, that you would hear God say, I haven't given up on you. I'm writing a bigger story. I love you. Hey, today, would you commit your life to Christ? Will you, right where you sit, just say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I know you've been drawing me to yourself. God, I know there's not an accident that I'm here today. But God, it, I know it starts with a relationship with you. Or maybe today, if you're a believer and you're a follower of Christ, and honestly, if there's just fears or worries or concerns, and today, just open your hands and say, God, I give it to you. Because the righteous will live by faith. And as you begin to pray, what rises up in you is hope. What rises up in you is faith. So, Father, here we are, your disciples today. Father, 2,600 years after Habakkuk, Father, 2,000 years after the Apostle Paul wrote this church to the church in Rome, Father, here we are, 500 years after the Reformation, just calling out to you and saying the righteous will live by faith. Our hope today, God, is not in our circumstances. It's not in our finances. It's not in leadership. Father, our hope is in you. Rise up in us. Fill us today 
with a confidence that comes of knowing Christ and that our eternity is secure. And God, in the midst of the waiting, help us to be faithful. In the midst of the waiting, God, use us to serve. In the midst of the waiting, use us to make a difference. In the midst of the waiting, allow us to praise you. We all have questions, but God, you are greater. And our faith and our trust is in you.